Today's reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 8, and it's verse 1 to 13. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not of the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Charles Wesley is possibly unique amongst hymn writers. For the sheer volume of hymns he's written, over 6,000 hymns. And you've just sung one. Um, And it's a really lovely hymn. I want to talk about it a bit today and explain why I chose it. Charles Wesley was born into a church family. His father was a parson, and that's the family home, so... He lived in quite a grand house when he was growing up. And at age 19, he went to Christ Church College in Oxford. 19 years old. Went through his studies and like his brother and his father, he was ordained as a pastor. But it wasn't until 19 years later, when he was 31, that he came to faith himself. He had a minister all these years, but he didn't know Christ personally. But on the evening of Pentecost Sunday, 
on May the 28th, he wrote in his journal these words. At midnight, I gave myself to Christ. Assured I was safe, sleeping or waking. Had continual experience of his power to overrule all temptations and confessed with joy and surprise that he was able to do exceedingly abundantly for me above what I could ask or think. So he came to personal faith in Christ at the age of 31. And if you're an inspiring hymn writer, you might want to note that he had a real huge use of language in the hymn we've just sung. He uses hyperbole. Talks about a thousand tongues. We've only got one. Punctuates the words as you'll see in the hymn, but he's oxymorons too. He talks about the deaf hearing and the blind seeing. And he talks about antithesis, about light and dark. So the hymn may be old-fashioned, but it's quite a skillfully written hymn and really quite a thought-provoking one as well. And it led me to a passage. And it's the passage that this verse triggered for me. One we've already heard. Pearl read it. It's one I always think about when I sing this hymn. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. And it leads me to the verse, <clears throat> the last one that Mary wrote, read today. I want to read it from the Amplified. Romans 8, verse 13. For if you are living according to the impulses of the flesh, you, go, you are going to die. But if you are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are habitually putting to death the sinful deeds of the body. You will really live forever. And these verses, this verse particularly challenged me as I was preparing for this morning. Let me read it again. For if you're living according to the impulses of the flesh, you are going to die. But if you are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are habitually putting to death the sinful deeds of the body. You will really live forever. And I want you to note something about the verse. Two things particularly. I want you to note the verse verb is in the present continuous tense. You are putting to death the sins. That's the verse that says, if you are living by the power of the Spirit, you are habitually putting to death the sinful deeds of the body. You're actively engaged in a fight against sin, and it's an ongoing, on an ongoing basis. The second thing I want you to notice about the verse, it's got a positional relationship in it. If you're living by the power of the Spirit, you are habitually putting together, put, putting to death the sinful deeds of the body, and you will really live forever. It's important you understand there's a... Con there's a, a positional relationship. It's not cause and effect. You don't earn your salvation by putting to death the sins of the flesh. That's not how you earn your salvation. God gives it if you repent by faith. But there is a long-going link. If you are doing that, 
you will live forever. An infallible connection between putting to death the sinful deeds of the body and living forever. I want to make clear at the beginning what killing sin is not. A lot of people get this wrong. They think about killing sin in their life, they're dealing with it, and they have a very misconceived idea. Firstly, killing sin does not mean sinful, sinless perfection. By definition, killing sin is a process. It's not a product. None of us in this life will ever reach sinless perfection because of our nature. So killing sin is not about sinless perfection. And it's not about hiding sin or disguising it. We may be able to hide our sins from other people. We may be good at doing that. We may be able to pretend that our lives are not sinful. But that's not how God would understand it. God will see that and see through that and know that's not true. And other times we may actually think we can disguise our sin by acting righteously or by righteous anger, appearing to be better than we are. But it's not what killing sin is about. And killing sin is not about being a nice person. Some people by nature are very easygoing. They don't lose a temper. They don't shout at people. They may have very affable personalities. And you may therefore think they're not particularly sinful. But that's not what killing sin is about. It's not about being a nice person. And it's not also about having just occasional victories over sin, over the big obvious sins. Because sometimes we have a short memory. We think we've overcome a particular sin and it comes back. That's part of our personal experience. But true victory over sin is demonstrated by a long-term obedience, bearing fruit. We're not to be like rocky soil. We've got to be a long-term, steady, persevering, obedient Christians. Killing sin is a very serious business. This is a man called Aaron Ralston. Some of you may know the story, but not everyone will. He went hiking one day, way out in the wilderness. He's crossing a canyon. He slipped into the canyon, and a huge boulder fell, trapping his arm. He was therefore pinned down there in the canyon, below ground level. No one had known where he had been going out hiking. He was completely alone. On day three, he ran out of food and water. On day four, he thought, I'm going to have to do something about this. I'm going to have to actually amputate my arm with my one pen knife that I have. Day four, he tried, but failed. Day five, he finally summoned up the courage and performed the amputation. It took a whole hour for him to free himself. And then he had to hike 16 miles 
back to his car six hours later found by fellow hikers. Now it's gruesome, but in his situation, he knew he had no choice. It was the rational thing to do. If he didn't cut his arm off, he was going to die because he would starve or suffer dehydration. But none of us could face that without it being quite a terrible consequence to our lives. And that's him going back to where he amputated his arm. So it might have been the hardest decision to make. But it was the only decision he could do was to take his arm off. And that's really what killing sin's like. It's something much more serious than we sometimes take note of. Because killing sin is a habitual weakening of sin. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to break the patterns of sinning. They can become very entrenched as we get older. Certainly, I'm, my experience is killing sin gets harder, not easier as you get older, because the patterns you've established over your life become very real and deep. But we first resolve to do so, we'll find that it's hard, but we've got to keep going. And killing sin is a constant fighting against it. It's not something that happens overnight. We've got to be patient in killing our sin. We've got to act habitually to weaken the acting of sin in our hearts. And killing sin will mean frequent success. I'll come back to this later. Maybe that's not what you always feel, but killing sin will mean frequent success. So how is it accomplished? This is a question you want to ask me. How do you do it then? You've said you've got to do it. You've said it can happen. How do you do it? Firstly, you've got to get into the habit of meditating on God's word. Sometimes um, I think we forget that someone said in the past that seven days without reading God's word makes one week. That's my experience. If I don't read God's word at all, I will become weaker and weaker and I will never have success, ever have success in killing the sin in my life. And I want you to notice it says on the screen, and it's true, about meditating on God's word, not just reading it regularly. You see, for the world, meditation is about clearing your mind, getting everything out of your mind so that there's nothing that you're thinking about. But in fact, the Christian idea of meditation is quite the opposite. You've got to fill your mind. Fill your mind with God's word. And that only happens if you're habitually in the habit of reading and meditating on God's word. And you'll hear that regularly here, but we can't say often enough, reading God's word and meditating, meditating on it is the only way we'll have any success in dealing with sin in our lives. Then secondly, you've got to pray often. For the power of the Holy Spirit to put sin to death. We often talk about praying. 
But the prayer for the Holy Spirit to help you deal with your sin is vital. Without the Holy Spirit, you will never, and I will never, deal with any sin in my life. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to have mastery over sin in our lives. So pray frequently. Ask God's Holy Spirit to help you to deal with what happens in your life when temptation comes. And here's the third one. Get the help you need from Christians in the battle. That's one we don't do very often. I have to confess, I don't often ask other Christians to help me in dealing with the sin in my life. And that's my fault. Because it's only with the help of others that we are able to be victorious in dealing with our sin. We want to hide it. We want to pretend sometimes. We want to just admit that it's tough. But we'll go to God and we'll pray. But sometimes we do need the help of another Christian to help us in the battle for dealing with sin. And as Wesley wrote in his journal, and as we are more and more dead to sin, we are more and more alive to God. But I want to point another verse out that's in the hymn we had sung. He speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. Because I think there's a fourth thing that we need to do if we're going to deal with sin in our lives. And it's called the expulsive power of a new affection. Thomas Chalmers, the great minister of the church in Edinburgh, coined this phrase. And I love it. And I think it's speaking to my heart more and more as I think about the expulsive power of a new affection. Now, in Greek mythology, Ulysses was an adventurer and he wanted to find out about these bird-like women called sirens whose singing voice was so wonderful that they lured the ships onto shipwrecks and they all died as a result of drowning. So Ulysses came up with a plan that he'd tie himself, he got his crew to tie himself to the mast, and he got his shipmates to plug their ears with wax. And so he sailed past the island and heard the siren song and was not drowned as a result. But here's a different character in Greek mythology. This is Jason. He was the leader of the Argonauts. And he wanted to hear the siren song, but instead of doing what what Ulysses did, he took along somebody who could do something better than that. He took along Orpheus. And Orpheus could make music like nobody else. And he had such a talent he could challenge beasts of the air, of the mountains and so on. So when the ship passed and Orpheus played his song, Jason and the crew were not drawn onto the rocks and drowned. I think sometimes we try and fight sin by metaphorically filling our ears with wax, lashing ourselves to the mast with external rules and regulations. 
But our hearts can be easily captivated by that siren song of sinful pleasures. But the gospel says something differently. The gospel says we can, by the power of a new affection, by setting our hearts on Christ, we can have the expulsive power to deal with our sin. And as I get older, I understand that more and more. If I love Jesus more, I would sin less. I know that to be true. If I would actually let Jesus show his love to me more, and if I loved him more, that power would deal with my sin in ways that I have still yet maybe to fully experience. The writer of the Proverbs is true. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So my message to us all this morning is guard your heart, get it right with God, and he'll deal with the issues of sin in your life. In Romans 5, verse 5, it says, For we know how dearly God loves us. He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And that's true. God really shows his love to us because he's given the Holy Spirit who fills our heart with his love. And if we only allow God to do that, to fill our hearts with his love, he can deal with the things that we want mastery of in our lives. But maybe at this point in the sermon you're thinking, I'm really depressed. Maybe you think, about the lack of progress you've made in dealing with sin over time in your life, the lack of progress, and I've been there, how you look at your life and you think, have I really mastered sin? And you wonder if there is still so much to be done. But I want you to think about what Wesley said in his hymn, and it's a verse we didn't read, I didn't tell you. The original has 18 verses. If I'd made you sing all of them, you'd have been singing them now. And in fact, his brother, when asked, could you use Wesley's hymn, said yes, but don't change any. If he'd been here today, he'd have made you sing all 18 verses. But here's one. I felt my Lord's atoning blood close to my soul applied. For me he loved, the Son of God. For me, for me he died. And it's when verses like that touch your heart and when you know God's love in the way that Wesley did, you can find an answer. But I want you to think about the first verse that Mary read today. Started our passage. The book ended with the last verse and the first verse. So there is now therefore, or there is now there for no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. There is no condemnation. That's the message for you this morning. No matter how badly you may feel you've made little progress in the Christian faith, there is no condemnation. Your sins of the past, of the present, of the future have been dealt with. There is no 
condemnation. But I wonder, are you feeling as if you're living in condemnation, even subconsciously? Are you really thinking, you really understand there is no condemnation? Or are there times when you wonder, am I not still condemned by God? And these four things are warning signs. Warning sign number one. We think a lot about the past. We wonder about all the past mistakes we've made. All the things we should have done, we didn't do. All the things we did do, we shouldn't have. But Philippians 3 verse verse 13 says one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead and that's the important thing we must remember we don't have to worry about the past we can forget the past and look to the future because God has dealt with a sin God tells us to leave what's in the past in the past and to press forward into the future. God wants to do something new and wonderful in our lives apart from your past. And you don't have to, and you, you have to stop looking to your past in order to receive it. Warning sign two. You can't seem to forgive yourself. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I'm glad you sung that one, Dave. He is a new creation. That's the truth. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So if you are a Christian, anyone who is in Christ, you're a new creation. You are forgiven. You don't have to worry about it anymore. It's not something you have to forgive yourself for. You are forgiven and you are now a new creation. The third one will jar a bit. Warning side of being or feeling you're being condemned is you may have a judgmental or critical spirit. Matthew 7 verse 2 says, for if you, have, you, if you will be judged by the same, sorry, for you will be judged by the same standard you use to judge others. The measurement you use on them will be used on you. It's very easy to criticize others, to make ourselves feel superior, but I often wonder, if we, are a crit- if we have a critical spirit, is it because we feel condemned or judged? Is it because we feel we're being judged that we judge others? I'm sure it's true. We find in judging others a measure of relief. But I think it's because we're in our minds thinking, I'm not being forgiven. I'm being judged by God because I let him down today, because I failed him today, because I wasn't the kind of Christian I should have been today. And maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe he's condemning me today. 
and I'll condemn somebody else and make myself feel a little better. But that's not how it should be. Here's the last sign you might want to watch out for. You may feel unworthy. Isn't there times in all of our lives when we don't feel worth anything? Unworthy of God's love and grace towards us. Romans 5 and 8 says this, But God showed his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God considered you and I worthy enough to send his son to die for us. That should be a measure for all of us to understand that we are loved, that we are worth and worthy, and that nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. So let's go back to the verse. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Not in the past. Not today. Not in the future. If you belong to the Lord Jesus. And he's given you the power of the life-giving spirit to free you from that power of sin that leads to death. And that should encourage us all this morning. That should make us all grateful to God. And so I want to say, maybe he was right, over a thousand tongues to sing. Over a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. We do need a thousand tongues to say thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for dealing with my sin. Thank you for watching over me day by day, moment by moment. And that's something we should all be glad of. And I've asked to sing one more hymn, and it is gotten it. Now there is no condemnation, so that we remember that as we go out singing, no condemnation now. I dread. That's his other second hymn, Charles Wesley's lovely hymn, Jesus and all in him as mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness, divine bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, a hard message for us all today. But a message maybe you want us to hear. You've empowered us to deal with the power to deal with our sin in our lives by your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, as we think on these things this week, we're challenged to think more about how you would want us to live our Christian lives. We are encouraged to know you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. And we are no, no, no longer in condemnation. We are now no longer condemned because of our sin. We pray, Father, you'll help each of us this week to live in the joy of that and give us a thousand tongues to praise you. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.